0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation, around the world, and of course, in quarantine. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, aptly named, and I have a little special podcast for you today because my first guest, before we get to Boston, you know him as Austin Ward, my cohort at lettermanrow.com, scooper of scoopsters, Um, I've got a little special guest by the name of Urban Meyer, maybe you've heard of him, he was a coach of some repute for what, 15, 17 years and uh, lost only nine games in seven seasons at Ohio State University before stepping away from the game again because, uh, primarily because of some physical ailments he was dealing with at the time. I'm talking about the end of the 2018 season. Turned the reins over ably to to Ryan Day and uh, who took the team back to the college football playoffs last year. So there's a lot to get to with Urban Meyer before we move on and uh, pick, up the, uh, pick up the pace with Boston. You know him as Austin Ward. So without further ado, here's my interview with Urban Meyer. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, we're back with one of the great college football coaches of all time, not just of the last uh, couple of decades. Uh, urban meyer urban meyer who's ensconced i think urban you're kind of ensconced in your compound down in florida at the moment correct
1: i am we uh never really spent more than four or five days here at a time but we've been here six weeks and what a great area
0: yeah what do you think about this whole thing though urban how tough has it been to stay inside so to speak or to keep your uh, travels down et cetera, during this uh, COVID 19
1: uh situation well we never stayed inside you know i, I I, we stayed on the uh, property most of the time and went for walks. And I, I, you know, I, I also believe that fresh air is good and, and, uh, all that. So we certainly obeyed, uh, the rules, but however, we, uh, it was not like we didn't open the front door and, and you know, Shelly well enough that that, first of all, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, second of all, I, I just, you know, the one thing about I'm down here in Florida is that, you know, the, the weather was really good. So you're out moving around and, and doing things. So, yeah, it's been tough, and, and we have not – humbly, I say this, we have not been impact really – I think we knew a handful of people that dealt with it as far as the health point of the virus, and, and they came out fine. But the, the biggest issue is we've had many friends that are just
2: – I don't want to
1: say destroyed, but are in almost harm's way with uh, the financial lockdown. Yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, th- that's – it, you talk about a double whammy. I mean, this has been an unbelievable situation in, in that regard. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about urban. I appreciate you coming on my podcast is, uh, you know, you were a head coach of repute for quite a while. And, uh, one of the great head coaches, like I said, to ever to ever, uh, put on the headphones, so to speak. I'm not, I'm not sure how many headphones Newt Rockney had, but you know where I'm going with that. Uh, uh, in one K and on the one hand, uh, I know you miss coaching a little bit, maybe a lot, but on the other hand, are you also missing this opportunity to be that ultimate leader? You know what I mean of a of a group. I mean, it's it's almost like something a guy like you, I think, would relish is rising to a challenge like this.
1: Yeah, I've had many conversations. Uh, Ironically, you know, Coach Day and I speak frequently, but also other teams and other organizations. I've had some. It's been really interesting in my life the last year, year and a half, whether it be corporate America, whether it be militaristic teams or models or units. I just really, first of all, I love doing it because I love to learn and, and just uh, uh, learn from others and also share experiences I've had. And, and I got I used to get asked this question, Tim, you probably remember that. What did you say at halftime? Or yeah. what did you say, what was your pregame speech or something? And, and I would always re- tell them that, preparation for a game and, and for a season and for developing that goes on in January through, you know, let's call building a culture. And, and I've always been a fanatic about, you know, a culture of elite or a culture of high expectation and accountability. And, and so, for example, when you lose a game, you know, or, or your best player, Nick Bosa, uh, week three against TCU, he's out for the rest of the year. What do you say to your team? Well, you know, they've been, you don't say really anything. You just kind of reiterate the fact you've been trained for this moment. You've been trained for adversity, all that. There's nothing easy about Ohio State football. Everything's hard. Yeah. And why is that? Because life is hard because college football at that level, I can't, I was speaking to an organization the other day and I said, before you make any decisions on hiring or, you know, setting your culture, et cetera, first of all, what, what environment are you in? And at Ohio State football, it's the most competitive environment that I can imagine you know uh you, you have to win every game you have to you know anything to lessen a, a competition for the national championship and the big 10 championships a failure name another I, i'm trying to think of something else that's that competitive so your culture is tested in adversity and we are in adverse situations right now
0: yeah you know I, I, I'm, I'm you know this is weird did you get to watch the last dance the michael jordan
1: i'm but, mesmerized by it I, yeah I, we watched the final piece last night and uh <laughs> I, I just – first of all, it was so well done. And second of all, it's it's arguably not just the greatest basketball player, the greatest winner in athletics maybe of all time.
0: Hey, well, take this as as a compliment. I, there were, As I'm watching that thing for 10 episodes, I keep thinking of you because Michael Jordan was a taskmaster. He believed in – didn't believe in wasting time and practice. You know, you watch the whole thing. His whole deal was right – Bring up the lowest guy because sometime or another that guy's going to have to make a difference on your on your team, and you're only as good as that guy. You know what I mean? Is I think he believed that, even though you know he wanted to take the last shot. But you understand what I'm saying? That was I always thought that was your focus too. But also, don't tell me about what you've done. Tell me about what you're doing, and you, you know, and you, where you're getting better and stuff. But then you you brought up a while ago about you know the halftime speeches and stuff. Phil Jackson gave some of, you're watching that, he gave some of the blandest pregame <laughs> talks you've ever seen, right? Yet he knew he had, they had put in the work. He knew they had, uh, they had prepared for the moment, right?
1: Yeah. As I said earlier, and this is really, really great conversation, Tim, is whenever you're making decisions, for example, I'm talking to this one organization about hiring a CEO of a company and they had me on like on the search committee. And, and the first thing you have to ask is what's the expectation what's the environment you're in, and what's the competition. Now, if – and I, always, I don't know if you remember, it's always been a one through five with me. One's poor at three's average, five's elite. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if Gene Smith has to hire a coach at Ohio State University, it has to be all fives. It, it, there's no room for error. Uh, Michael Jordan, what I really appreciated about him, and I've seen many of my friends fail in, in the coaching profession and really other professions – it's because they didn't really evaluate that. They didn't evaluate the environment, the competition, the expectations that you have to. And so I see them fail because they either lower their standards because of, they let friendships or maybe feelings get in the way And we're all yeah. guilty of that I, and loyalty. I, uh, I, I've let that get in the way and it's just part of being a human being. But however, Gene Smith, I, I, I tell people this all the time, when Gene Smith hired me in Atlanta, um, on the job description, it never said anything about friendships. It never said anything about feelings. It said you are in a high, high-end performance business. That think about going to work every day. You can't, you can't stub your toe if you do. That's a problem. You know, you're yeah. thirteen and thirteen and one. And the commentary is, well, what happened? You know, what happened? Uh, you're just. But but we sign up for that. Coaches signed. Ryan Day signed up for that. You can't. Yeah. You know, you can't fail. So I really appreciate the fact that. Michael Jordan never lowered his standards and at times I heard it was funny that they had uh, some of the other players that were boy he was tough and tough and I've heard people say that about Ohio State when we were there and even now is that man that place is a tough place to work and I'm thinking why you know just do your job to the best of your ability you don't have to be here you know there's a lot of there's a lot of those three places I call them three places because there's a lot of there's a lot of places that okay it's average average is fine and Have your group hug and go home, but 110,000 people and all those millions of Buckeye Nation, the group hug's not going to cut it. You have to perform. Everyone has to perform at a high level.
0: Hey, the few times you had to do this, and it was only nine times, was it? I don't even know if you did. Was it tough to do? Carmen, Ohio, after the loss,
1: miserable. Yeah, yeah, miserable because you try to focus on the respect of the student body and the alums and the the great university that we represented and you're, you know your players are there with you but your heart is just it's like someone reached in and pulled it right out and stomped on the ground you know it all was terrible and yeah um uh, <laughs> uh, yeah i was i think it only happened twice in that stadium
0: yeah hey i've got a hundred questions but i didn't want to follow up on that uh is it do you miss that? What, what do you miss most about the night coach? I know you've gotten this 100 times during this month. You've been a favorite guy on a lot of podcasts and stuff. But what is the one thing you miss? Them? I know it's probably interaction with the players, maybe it's interaction with the coaches. What is the one thing you miss from not being there every day?
1: I've actually thought about that here because I have get asked that a lot. Is yeah. I, I think what I miss most is the greater good is waking up in the morning and knowing that there's a greater good out there where – yeah. You no, know, the team ahead of self. I, I've always been that. I just, you know, I got into coaching for a lot of reasons. And most importantly was building a team and the selflessness. And I, I often speak on something called uh, solve the mystery. And the mystery is how do I put others ahead of self? And, you know, I think of Terry McLaurin. He may be the most ultimate selfless leader I've ever been around. The Tebow was the, and he's a great team. There, You you can't have a great team without that kind of mentality. Yeah. I miss that. I miss the players. And then finally, I miss winning. I really, know, yeah. I miss. At the end of the day, I'm watching that Jordan thing. And I kind of tear up a few times, and you know, I think well, that was us. You know, seeing those buses roll into the Indianapolis or into uh, Dallas, Texas, or into New Orleans, Louisiana, wherever it is, and uh, you know, you're putting your arm around those players like I did for seven years, hugging them as they come walking in because we're getting ready. Got to got to turn off the world and go to world, go to battle together. That's what we're going to do.
0: Dude, you walked out after winning the Rose Bowl. Well, let's, you know, all things considered, that's pretty damn cool. Uh, hey, what does your crystal ball tell you about what's coming in 2020? What, what What's your crystal ball telling you?
1: Well, there will, I, unless something drastic happens, there will be college football. It might look a lot different than we're used to uh, as far as, number one, as far as stands and people in the crowd. And, and the second thing, conferences, or who's playing who and – this is going to be, I think Mark Emmert came out and said, it. I don't think I listened to what he said. And, you know, it's, it's impossible for the NCAA to mandate because this is all about health and safety of people. And it's state driven. Yeah. And, you know, can you imagine, can you imagine telling the FCC you're not going to play because uh, the Northwest part of the country is in lockdown. They would look at you like you're out of your mind. We're playing. Yeah. You know, and now, now what would that look like? Obviously the experts are going to have to determine that and, I know the ADs and the presidents and everybody are having and conference commissioners. Those are the power players in this whole thing. And, Tim, there is reality. Reality is that there's a financial hardship that will be over, overwhelming mm-hmm. if college football is not played. I mm-hmm. mean, overwhelming on college campuses and in communities if college football is not played. And, and people, I think, are misunderstood that you know, there's smaller schools that maybe don't count on that uh, that financial boom that happens when you know you're making six, seven million dollars every time the horseshoe fills up. Yeah, uh, and much more in television. And that that doesn't, you know, certainly it does support football. But it, my gosh, there's 36 sports. There's so many other things that uh, you know. I, I use Ohio State because obviously that's what we're familiar with. But that's across the land, and then also the schools that maybe don't count on that. It's not if you don't play football, and I was there when, when I was, and I love Bowling Green, but the economy of Bowling Green didn't count on Bowling Green football. Yeah. You know, so it's, this is, this is a real unique time. And there's some people I pray every night that the people making these decisions are, you know, seek the wisdom from a higher source because they're, I don't believe people are equipped. You're talking about some serious decisions that have to be made. One's about the, health well-being of people and then also the mental and financial health of the world of of people
0: yeah yeah i was gonna say you brought bowling green i think the bowling green payout for playing ohio state in the opener is 1.3 million you know that's 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 a huge chunk of
1: change for a for an athletic department like bowling green tim tim that is the change i mean that's yeah i I remember those days and that is uh that's keeping a program afloat yeah yeah
0: Hey, uh, what, what's the most important thing the players are missing not being around Mickey Marathi and his group right now? And uh, what, what just, you know, as you think about it, what, what, what's the most important thing that uh, is, they're going to miss maybe is it when, they, when they get back? What, what, was, what was Mickey really great at during these times?
1: You know, I've studied the NFL a little bit, Tim, here in the last few months. And, and uh, what's amazing to me is the National Football League is that the, they play their last game. And you're not allowed to talk to your players, review the film, yeah, um, you know, get to know their families, uh, you know, train with them, eat with them, make sure they're you know living right for till April, and and that was even gone because of the virus. But it's almost like that that, you know, how, I, I just it's amazed me. How do you build a team when you're not allowed to be around your, The most important time people think the most important time is during the season that. As I told you, that's not when you build a – that that one, you're going. Culture is built. Yeah. That's past tense. Culture is being built before that. So I think that's what, you know, everyone's missing out. you got a new group of freshmen coming in. You had, I think, 13. They had mid-semester guys, uh, Ohio State. And when you get to touch them, when you put your arm around them, when you get to sit and ask them about their families and, you know, really develop that trust that is so necessary. That just and then the obviously physical ones of Mickey Marani training them. And as we t- I talked to him the other day, is that the nutrition aspect so much? You know, I mean, some of these players come from areas you they don't eat, right? They just don't have the resources to eat. The I mean, uh, 280 pound man, you know, what that kid has to eat, yeah. and so there, there's a lot of variables right now,
0: yeah. And, and like you said, two, there's a big difference between 280 pounds and the Mickey Marotti thing, you know, and to an 80-pound guy just walking around. I mean, you're right. I mean, the whole thing. Well, you know, just, just tell me real quick. Give me a, a preview. If college football jumps off sort of like we think it will, who could be the LSU of this year, in your opinion, as you look around the country? That's a kind of off-the-cuff, off the out-of-left-field kind of question. But I, I think the usual suspects, Ohio State, uh, Alabama, Clemson, maybe Georgia, uh, you know, a couple of guys are replacing their quarterbacks, uh, clearly. Couple of them aren't, but is there a team out there that you think could snake bite some people?
1: The the ones you mentioned are, you know, I, th- I see Clemson and Ohio State simply because of the quarterbacks returning and they're they're fantastic players. The uh, Alabama because of it's just the culture and the, yeah. the quality of player and quality coaching staff there. Uh, I think Georgia because they rooted so recruited so well. The team that I've got is Florida. I, I really believe that they're a playoff contender. They have a returning quarterback. Right. Uh, Coach Mullins in his third year. He's a big culture and leadership believer. He's uh, an excellent – him and Ryan Day are the two best I've ever been around as far as game management hmm. and understand – actually understanding the, the length of the field, the width of the field, how to create space, how to create matchups. Uh, they're tremendous at it. So just the fact he's doing that, I've spent some time with Dan. Uh, actually down here, and he feels I can – you know, I just can tell, especially a guy I know so well. A little bit like – I remember Joe Burrow came to see me last year before the season. We sat and talked, and I remember walking out the door and telling my colleagues at Fox, I said, I'm picking LSU, and I picked them to be in the playoffs because, you know, guys like Joe Burrow or or Dan Mullen, those are such competitive, and I know them so well that when I I saw their face, they knew they had something special there. And I, I think the Florida Gators will be right there.
0: Irvin, mean, can you believe the Joe Burrow story? I mean, Isn't it great? you know, you guys, I mean, I'm not saying you took a chance on it, but y'all, y'all picked him. I mean, y'all, y'all could have gone elsewhere, but you, 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 you centered in on him, and you know what happened there. But, I mean, what, what, just, what did you just see just clicking him over the last two years? I mean, what just jumped out at you from the Joe Burrow you saw coming in the door as a freshman?
1: I saw his maturity and development, and he worked – I remember his first year, he, he really struggled, and he was – but that happened. Mike Thomas, the, you put Mike Thomas, Joe Bourne – I even put Zeke Elliott in that category. You know? Yeah. Zeke yeah. Elliott, I remember, I remember we took him in, in the – was he the All-American all game, I believe. They put him at safety because he wasn't the best running back down there. But the one thing Zeke had is of, of, of all running back – him and J.K. was pretty close – their practice at work ethic was, I've, I've never seen a back do that. You know, you talk about Joe Burrow, and all he did is work and grind. And we recruited him because he was an elite basketball player, a very good very good football player. He still was, I believe, Mr. Ohio. Mm-hmm. But his arm strength, his release point, and re- his release speed weren't great. But Tom Herman came to me and said, you have to watch this guy. We took a little heat, actually, when we, we, when we took him because, what are you taking that guy for? And, right. No, he wasn't even offered by – You know, his dream school is Nebraska, and they didn't offer him. And and people were – I remember asking those questions, which I never – I could care less about all that stuff. We just – it's our own evaluation. And he had the common denominator that all great ones have, and that's a competitor. But I I think LSU, what they did, surrounded himself, let him play, let him do his stuff. I'm hoping that happens at the next level.
0: Who is an Ohio State player right now that you knew of, that you helped recruit before uh, retiring? that you think could emerge that people don't know of on this Ohio State roster? Who's a guy that might surprise some people this year?
1: Well, I don't think he'll surprise but I think he's a potential first-round draft pick, and that's Pete Warner. You know, he's an outside linebacker. That I mean, he's a legit 4-5 or five guy. He runs. He's tough. He's my – I don't know if you remember, but yeah. he was my star on kickoff. And those guys, the correlation – someday I'm going to do a study on that. Is that – what's the correlation – the two areas that I think are the most difficult areas are punt coverage and kickoff coverage. And you look at all those first round corners, every one of them from Gary on Conley, to Denzel Ward, they were all, where did, where did they make their name? And I kind of saw it coming is kickoff and same with Terry McLaurin and his punt coverage. So I, I just think Pete Warner, you know, I, I think Sean Wade and Pete Warner are legitimate. They'll be wherever the draft is because they're going to be high, high picks.
0: Hey, by the way, uh, before we go, uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you about this because uh hair hair went up on the back of my neck when you mentioned J.K. Dobbins a while ago because I I remember forever uh the photo I took of you and him sitting there for the team photo in front of the Rose Bowl, and he's he has tears <laughs> and you're kind of consoling him a little bit. And uh uh you don't, you know, I would think that's the that's the one thing you really miss is you know you had an impact on a on a young man and he's going to miss you. I mean, uh, do you remember that? And number two, does – I don't know, is that a special – one of those special moments,
1: as much as winning a game? Oh, you know the answer before you ask that question because you know me for so long is that that is it. And the fact that J.K. Dobbins' uh, personal journey was one that most humans will never know about because they watch this great running back and a beautiful smile and all that, but we know the journey. You know, I sat with his grandfather, grandmother, his mom, and uh, we talked about his father. We talked about what happened. We talked about the fact he broke his ankle in the first play of his senior year and never got to experience uh, the magic that uh, takes place. So, yeah, of course, uh, I'm going to miss that. And you mentioned a guy that uh, for the rest of my life will be extremely close, and I love him dearly.
0: Yeah. Hey, Urban, last thing, you know, uh, and I'm going to hit you from left field on this one, but I I told you – that uh, I didn't think Michael Drake would be around more, much, much longer after after you retired.
1: Stuff. <laughs> do you remember him telling you that? I do.
0: Uh, do you have you ever had a moment where you have stepped back and go, "Man, I wish I hadn't had retired." I mean, is there ever is there been a moment in the last? I know you know I'm hitting you left field for this one, but uh, has there ever been a moment where you go, "Man, you know." Maybe I could have gotten past this, this uh, physical thing and, uh, and things could have gotten right again. Have you ever had those kind of moments?
1: Well, I'm human, so of course. But I'm also what really would have sat hard with myself, Shelly, and all of us. I really admire it. When you talk about me, you talk about a group of people. It's not me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a group. It's a um, a tribe, a family. It's, it is what it is. And... Uh, of course I do, but the fact that the place is in such great shape. I mean, that that head coach we got there, Ryan Day. I, I used the term elite when I because he was, he mm-hmm. is, he is absolutely. When I went to Gene Smith and said so we got the guy, and he's right here. And Gene didn't really know him. He knew of him a little bit, but then you know I, I talked to Gene now, and he can't be more impressed. Not just with the fact that he's running a great program, but he's recruiting. He understands Ohio, and understands that Ohio State is different. Is yeah. that the Everything has got to be on point. Everything you're, you're talking about academic. It's a the average ACT is a thirty. How do you, how do you go recruit a kid and say, or not a kid, a team uh, that can compete in the classroom like that place? And then also Columbus, Ohio. You know you have uh, the the crew and the Blue Jackets. Other than that, it's Ohio State football. Mm-hmm. And so everything. I mean, every time someone sneezes, it's 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 there, and you can't lose. Uh, certainly, you can't lose that rivalry game. So if Ohio State had was struggling or we thought the infrastructure was not in great shape, that would really – because this one's always been personal. This has been my home. So it's actually – I might feel great about it.
0: Obviously, you know, I didn't ask you about Jim Harbaugh or anything because who cares. Uh, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, uh, the most impressive thing, and you let me – I was allowed to sit in on some of these sessions too. The real-life Wednesdays, did you have a clue when you started those that they would become – not just uh, an enlightening moment for players and sometimes coaches, but just such a solid, huge recruiting tool. You know what I mean? Did you have any idea what you were getting into there when you brought that around?
1: I did because the reason the evolution started when my daughter was recruited and I went to four visits with her and those conversations were not had. It was all about graduation, which is great. But as Gene Smith says, that's that's an expectation, not a – That's not what the ultimate goal is. Yeah. And I knew that all someone had to do is stand up. As I'm giving the the parent version now. All someone had to do is stand up and say, listen, if your daughter does this, this, and this, I can promise her that she'll have a job or a career. I would stand up, give him a big hug, and say, this is where you're going. Because deep down, that's what every, every parent wants. They, you know, come on. Football comes and goes. Volleyball certainly comes and goes. But that's your kid. And yeah. I just want to know that, you know, other than that's not number 26 that sits in the locker room. It's not that at all. And it's certainly not pushing a degree and then, you know, some degree that nowadays a degree is, you know, who doesn't have a degree? A lot. I'm not devaluing it, but that's reality.
2: Yeah. So
1: there's three reasons that, and, and we pushed it through all 36 sports at Ohio State, is that number one, it's the right thing to do. Number two is the recruiting bust the boom that you get from it that we we've gone into georgia and i beat georgia we've gone into texas and beat texas florida beat florida california beat those other schools why i know why first of all you can say well national championships and draft picks and all of course but that's not the final A parents not going to uh, shake hands on that you're going to come because of the real life opportunity that corporate america and ohio state and this wonderful city of columbus ohio gives you
0: hey uh- just, i, I got to follow up on that. Uh, do, you ever, do you ever have those moments, too, where you sit back and go, you know what, I mean, uh, yeah, Ryan Day is sharp as heck. He's one of the brightest guys I've ever met in coaching, et cetera. But the legacy you left behind, uh, the legacy that he's now building on, I mean, this may be the greatest recruiting class, of, they're saying, of all time from a rating standpoint, you know, it's coming in 2021. But do you, do you ever take uh, – do you – I know you do. Do you take pride in what you left behind? you understand what I'm saying?
1: Sure. And, and you know, pride, of course I do. And, and the one thing that – and you know – Well, let me thing. interrupt you. Let me interrupt you, though.
0: You, you took Ohio State. Ohio State has always recruited somewhat on a national scale. But I, I always call it y- – y'all recruited – yeah, you got to take care of the home base. But y'all recruit almost a, a map with no dotted lines on it, if you follow my drift. And that's where you took this – Uh, made it a household name in Southern California as as much as, uh, you know, Gloucester, Ohio. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, and and we received our member early on because I'm from Ohio. Those are my high school coaches. I coached and played in the great state of Ohio. Uh, Reality is there has been a population shift. You know, there was a time where Woody Hayes and even uh, Coach Trestle's earlier tenure, certainly Earl Bruce's tenure, where you could fill – you know the roster. You can say of the twenty-five, we're going to take eighteen to twenty from the state of Ohio. And reality is, I used to when I was at Notre Dame, Lou Holtz said we're putting in Cleveland, in Northeast Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, and <laughs> yeah. there'd be a, there'd be a good bunch of you know that level player there. And now there's not. You know, Cleveland, Ohio used to be the hot uh, Northeast Ohio, Warren, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, and Youngstown. You could sign you ten players out of that area. You can't. Is it someone's fault? I didn't say that. But it's yeah. reality. If you if you fill your team with that, with with, with maybe that you know some workouts, some don't. I mean, you got the Corey Lindsleys and Johnny Simons, great players from Youngstown, and obviously Marshawn Lattimore from Cleveland, and some others. So you know, Teddy Ginn. but not enough to fill it up. And so we made a decision that I remember when I got hired. Even Shelly looked at me because how are you going to compete with the SEC? We we've watched the Big Ten on videotape, and it, it's it's apples and oranges if you're talking about elite versus pretty good mm-hmm. and so we made a decision mark pantoni myself i mean it really wasn't that we got hired to win we're going to go wherever the players are now we have to get them that's where real life wednesdays came in so there were no boundaries you have to take care of your footprint you have to make sure because the weather turns you got to make sure your families can come there's so many variables but uh ohio is the national ohio state right now is the national recruiter in america and really them in Alabama, as far as national and Clemson's there too, but they are the, the top national recruiter.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, as you, as you all know, I've known Urban Meyer since he was about 22 years old and uh, could barely grow a beard. And, uh, Urban Meyer now is, uh, one of the, I think one of the great analysts on television, maybe the, maybe the consummate analyst when it comes to college football and, uh, Urban Meyer, I truly appreciate you being on with us. I hope there will be a season this year. I wrote a story about uh, six weeks ago for LettermanRoad.com saying I could see the conferences just kind of going. Okay, you know what? We got 14 teams in Big Ten. We can have a 10 or 12 team, you know, 10 or 12 game uh, schedule if we want to intramural just this one year, take care of business. Do you think that could be coming around the bend here uh, sooner rather than later with some of these major conferences?
1: Well, oh, there's no question. They, they will play. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Big Ten's got some challenges. You know, you have New Jersey that was hit very hard by the virus. Baltimore, Maryland hit very hard. Other, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, weren't hit very hard. So uh, this is survival of the fittest. This will be, um, you know, you as I used to tell people, when I was at Utah, I, I voted certain way on certain issues as far as, like, college football playoff, BCS, et cetera, et cetera. And I maybe had a little different view than when I was at Ohio State, and I saw well, you change your view. And I said, well, absolutely. I, I, my job was it go coach of Utah Utah's protect Utah at all costs. When you're at Ohio State, your job is—it's very clear what your job is: protect Ohio State and do the very best you can for that great university. Uh, that's what the presidents and, you know, all due respect to other places. In these times, you got to protect your own. You, know, mm-hmm. you have to do what right, do what's right, but protect your own
0: because you see conferences like uh, has been put forth of if all teams can't play, do you penalize everybody because two, two or four teams can't play? Uh, what's, what's your oh, take on that?
1: Urban? Oh, you go, you go play, you know, you go yeah. find people. Uh, it's a little bit like, do you remember when nine 11 hit? Yeah. The nine eleven hit and we were scheduled to play South Carolina. <laughs> and I ironically Lou Holtz, my mentor, and we were three and zero. only green was one and 10 or two and nine the year before we we're three and Oh, the place is rocking. And,
2: Bang! That hits,
1: and I mean it just knocked the you know knocked everybody down, and you're like, "Wow, what do we do now?" Yeah, but you had to go find that next game, and we we knew that we had you know we, we were searching, and you could have fate you could have got a one double A or small school. We made a decision: we need to go get a good school to try to get a bowl game, <clears throat> and we went and picked Northwestern and played that Northwestern. So it was, I think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see teams that uh, if they can't fill their schedule, they're going to be looking.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Urban Meyer. Urban, appreciate you coming on my podcast for the first time. Hope it's not the last. And uh, uh, I didn't hit you up last season because I knew you were a busy man, but I may hit you up this year because, uh, as I've told everybody, you're as knowledgeable a guy as there is out there in the analyst world. You know, Kirk Herbstreit may be accepted. <laughs> Don't want to hurt his feelings. But uh, Urban, thanks for coming on, my man.
1: Yeah, Tim and, and Austin, you, you guys, let's let's do this again. I really enjoyed this.
0: All right. Appreciate it, man. We'll be back in a moment, ladies and gentlemen. And we're back with the Boston. You know him as Austin Ward. Uh, Boston, you know, the old saying I used to whisper to you there in the uh, press conferences every, every week with Urban Meyer was, don't ask him a question. You don't want to know the answer to. <laughs> and uh, he had a few interesting answers uh, during our little lengthy session there. But uh, the thing that struck me most is he does believe there's going to be college football in 2020, meaning this coming year. Uh, what, what shape it'll take still to be determined. I'm talking about whether it will be uh, just conference games only uh, among the Power Five conferences especially, uh, whether there might be some intersectional play. If in fact, uh, let's say the Pac-12 does, does do what it's been hinting and goes all interse- all conference and uh, drops some of its opponents. You know, we all know that uh, when Ohio State plays, is scheduled to play at Oregon uh, in uh, the second week of September, that I think is Colorado State is supposed to play at Oregon State, which is only what 25, 30 miles up their street there in Corvallis. So you know there would be an opponent Ohio State could get. University of Houston is supposed to play at Washington State, I think, that same weekend. There, there would be a There would be some opponents out there if you could make it, make it happen. But you know I think this is leaning more and more toward. Uh, uh, intramural conference play this year, the, the closer you get to this, because you've got to have 12 or 14 teams uh, pretty much on the same wavelength. You know, and then when I brought that up to Urban, uh, well, you know, do all. Does that mean necessarily that if it's the SEC only or Big Ten only, does that mean the Big Ten or the SEC has to have all 12 or 14 teams involved? And he basically said, you know, this is about the survival of the fittest. And this is where you kind of like have to like just kind of like suck it up and get through a season any way you can get it done. Because there are so many athletic departments, pretty much every athletic department, Division One, depends so heavily on football, revenue generated, et cetera, that you, you got to figure, they're going to figure out a way to play some games. And uh, then like you and I were talking about in our last podcast, I uh, maybe we were just talking about it off the air. Uh, there are some contractual obligations that if some teams can play and some can't, I'm talking about contractual obligations with networks, et cetera, they, they may be, they may feel compelled to uh, somehow or another uh, answer those contracts. Right.
2: Yeah. And that's um, that's at the top of mind for all these athletic directors and presidents. And and then you go onto the TV networks and, and urban's new employer with Fox sports and uh, everybody trying to make themselves as, as whole as best they can with these contracts. That's, you want to honor, and there's hundreds of millions of dollars at, at stake. And, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, college football players have to put their bodies at risk for that uh, is a whole other conversation. But that's the – you know, none of these other opportunities exist. And I've made this point to you for the last uh, nine, ten weeks that there will not be 35 other sports played at Ohio State if football is not played. Um, and that's – obviously we're talking about the largest – one of the largest athletic departments in the country and, you know, $220 million in that budget. But that comes from football, you know, men's basketball basically can pay for itself and everything else is funded uh, by football. And you look at that's Ohio state being a, a case of the largest, Well, the smallest, smaller schools, and that includes even in the big 10 when we're talking about implications for Maryland or Rutgers or Indiana, Purdue, whoever, um, even if you don't have the most sterling football reputation, that's still going to be what, what drives the the financial engine for these schools. And they, they need the broadcast money. They need the college football playoff money. They need, they need ticket sales concession, everything. They need football to be played. That's not, I'm not breaking new ground, but no. when, you, when you look at right. All the right things, when you're talking about, you know, scheduling, uh, you know, somebody asked me last week and I wrote about those teams, you mentioned that the non-conference If Ohio state needs to find an extra opponent. Um, you know don't forget about wyoming uh, they've got the same bye week and uh, <laughs> yeah that 12 opponent uh, that'd be a dream Wait
0: i think what you're trying to say is never turn your back on a cowboy go ahead now
2: no definitely do not um, how i mean come on ohio state in laramie on october 3rd let's do it um but the point is, I got a feeling that's not going to happen, but I may be wrong. I, I've been wrong before. Last time I saw Ohio State play
0: in Wyoming, it was in the Eddie Robinson Classic uh, in the Ohio Stadium. But go ahead now.
2: I, yeah, I actually, uh, you know, I know both of the athletic directors of those programs, and uh, I'm not going to get my Christmas wish on October 3rd, uh, just to just to be clear. But, um you know, the point is, like people say, well, maybe Alabama, if USC, if that game doesn't happen, we can get this dream matchup, and it could make tons of money, and people want to watch that. Well, Ohio State has other deals with Bowling Green to open the season, and that they're not going to want to turn around and break that contract. To do another one and put somebody else in harm's way, especially. Yeah, let me interrupt
0: you there too. And you know, like Urban discussed, you know, I think I think the Bowling Green guarantee for that game is one point three million or something, which yeah. is that's not chump change in the Mid American Conference world, and it would not getting that would it would pretty much lead to devastating the Bowling Green athletic
2: department. Go ahead, though. And they need it because Bowling Green has already cut, but baseball. So yeah, um, you know they they're already feeling or anticipating an impact, and you know. Th- those are the trickle-down effects that it doesn't just affect Ohio State. But uh, you know, when you talk about the scheduling, it's, it's, that's the you know, multi-million dollar question right now that we don't know how everyone is going to sort it out or what will happen if, say, 12 or 14 Big Ten teams are ready to go. I, I think Urban uh, is much better connected even than both of us in our reporting on this. And, uh-huh. and he is saying that, that everyone is going to be full steam ahead. I, I, I think he's correct. I already believe that would be the case. But, um, you know, our our, uh, our other colleague who does a little work on the Notre Dame side as well, John Bryce, he's he's been reporting with what Notre Dame is trying to deal with as an independent. You know, they're getting feedback with their schedules and their opponents. And one thing that he has heard from his sources on that side is that the Big Ten is starting to more strongly consider nine conference games plus one non-conference game. Who knows how Makes exactly sense. that would work out, but that's something that as the other schools, not just Ohio State, where I think Ohio State is now in a position where they could potentially play all 12 games as scheduled the way that it, the, the momentum is going. But if the rest of the league needs to come to a consensus about how it handles, that's how you would get an idea like nine plus one that maybe starts in the middle of September. That's, yeah. As I've said to you before, I don't, I don't make predictions about that, I, and I will defer to all of them because I don't think they need to make a decision right now. But that, I'm just giving an idea – that that's the kind of proposal that's starting to gain some traction. Yeah, you know, and
0: the point is, uh, we can make this point too, if they can figure out a way to save the Bowling Green game, being that, you know, if in fact they can't do it with Oregon, uh, Bowling Green's in the same state. So they'd be all, they'd be operating under the same guidelines of, you know, uh, Governor DeWine and Amy Acton and er everyone else involved. So that would have, you know, that would have a little bit more of a symmetry to it as far as I'm concerned about, you know, uh, people being on the same wavelength. But but you're right. I mean, I, I it's really funny because we sit here in the middle of May and we don't know what shape the 2020 college football season is going to take. It's folly right now for anybody to say, well, the regular schedule as scheduled is not going to happen because – We don't know. I mean, a month from now, like you, you know, everybody keeps trying to jump the gun. But a month from now, there may be some remarkable, uh, there may be some remarkable improvements in the COVID-19 situation. But like I told you last week, you know, uh, until they come up with a vaccine, you're still kind of rolling the dice a little bit. Number one, with the players, coaches, and the support personnel for a team, much less having any kind of like fan presence in the stadiums and we know that college football much more so than the nfl relies heavily on that stadium presence of fans and stuff but uh, you know if you make people six feet apart in ohio stadium as we discussed a few uh, videos ago uh podcasts ago it'd be like what 15 18 thousand people maybe max you know well how many people are going to fit in you know uh, dice stadium or whatever it's called up there in evanston now you know it's like but but six thousand maybe so there are all these things that uh i's that need to be dotted and t's need to be crossed and the first thing you need to know is where you stand with COVID 19 and that's the one thing that's the chasing the tail aspect of, the, of this thing that that's the tail that everybody's chasing and you're not going to know the answer to that you may even know the answer to that when you kind of turn the green light on
2: yeah I, I think the one thing that was missing about you know some of the stuff we've been saying over and over uh, every week when we do this podcast. And I think they are definitely important reminders about the difficulties, but when we would have this conversation, the part that was missing was how, how do the players feel about this? Um, Are Uh they concerned uh, about the risk? Are they willing to make the sacrifices? And, you know, for our beat, we finally got an opportunity to do that last week and get some answers from Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, which I thought was, um, you know, extremely valuable as we continue to to shape this argument that there should be football or that there will be football. Because Josh Myers and White Davis cannot speak for everybody, but they are two of the most vocal, respected leaders on the team. And if they yeah. say, which they did, that they are willing to self quarantine, uh, if they they're willing to do the kind of idea that you talked about a couple weeks ago, the first time, which they might have a team hotel for the entirety of the season. Uh, at least that's on the table. They'd be willing to do that. The temperature Hey, track. wait a minute.
0: Did you see the NCAA when it came out with this little press thing last week where they were talking about the very same situation, guidelines, et cetera, yeah. about everybody has their own room, et cetera? But you're right. I mean, uh, Josh Meyer said, you know, he's going over playing this season one one way or another, not just, you know, devil be care, devil no care. Uh, Wyatt's sh- – Wyatt showed a little bit of a, you know, some concern about how things would be from the beginning. You're right. Uh, but go ahead. I mean, that's, that was interesting. They, they both want to play, but they had a couple of different takes on it.
2: Yeah. And they weren't. And, and that was important too, that they weren't going to jump into it blindly. Um, you know, it, it wasn't that they had disregard for temperature checks or that they didn't want sanitization or that they thought that they should even be allowed to go right back in and have an 85 man, Practice. They did not think that that would be the circumstance. And obviously, a lot of this is going to be directed by what they've heard from Mickey Muratti and Ryan Day in the Zoom calls. And, you know, they didn't just come up with their own return to play model on their own. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, but, you know, the, they will have had multiple opportunities to hear about the ideas Ohio State and the Big Ten were having and then, you know, be okay with it or not okay with it. And I don't think that Ohio State said, hey, Josh Myers, uh, Wyatt Davis, just go in there and say you're totally comfortable with this and you trust us implicitly. Those two guys think for themselves. Uh, I, you and I have both talked with them on, on enough occasions to know that they will uh-huh. speak their mind, um, whatever the situation may be. And you know that if the so I think that you know the, the thing that stuck to me was that Josh Myers said he was worried about potentially spreading it to his family. He did have that concern, but that he thinks the self-quarantine and the, and the temperature checks and the, you know, the fact that Ohio state could monitor them basically daily before they go into the woody and that that his family wouldn't be around him. That was really the only thing that he was worried about that. If he gets it himself, he said, uh, that would be bad. I wouldn't want that, but Uh his concern was not, he, he could handle it, but that he wouldn't want to give it to his family. So, you know, (laughs) I can't imagine that like being a thought, 1920, And, and he's got not, he wants to win a national championship. I think they've got a number of questions about how this impacts their draft stock, but they do have their futures on the line, millions of dollars for Josh Myers and White Davis, but they also, they've played football their whole life. They've devoted their entire life to getting to this moment where they're at Ohio state, likely going to be their final year of playing in college. Uh, they love their position coach. They love their teammates. They love being members of Ohio state. They want to play the season. And any way that they can do it, they're signing up to do that. And I I couldn't speak for them before that. They've now said that. We know that that's how uh, two respected leaders of the Buckeyes feel.
1: Yeah.
0: I just – it's, you know, it's just interesting as you were talking there. I just – like I wrote in that story uh, several weeks ago, you know, if it was just the players and the coaches, you know, you Mm -hmm. could see – you could see feasibly how they could get, get after it, you know, but then somebody's got to tape your ankles, you know, (laughs) and uh, you don't want players taping each other's ankles and somebody's got to bring you water, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll we'll, we'll figure out a way to, like I said, practice with, with masks on, or I'm sure they'll have team meetings with masks on, but uh, just the whole, and all those people will have to go through, you know, probably continual or, uh, uh, scheduled testing you know that will have to be done etc There, are just all these hoops you're going to have to jump through to have football and like I told you my question is is everybody going to be willing I'm not talking about everybody on a particular team but is everybody in a particular conference going to be willing and able to jump through all those hoops you know I mean is there you know is there even a hotel big enough in state college where you can put a Team and give each player and coach his own room. I'm being facetious, but you know it's not exactly the greatest hotel town in America.
2: I've never been able to actually stay in a hotel in State College to cover a game, so I wouldn't know what's there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, well, anyway, where well, Ohio State stays this is a decent little place. It used to be used to be a hole in the wall where teams would have to stay, and it was it was really bad. But you're right. I mean, that's the point. Is like we were making that point several weeks ago. Everybody's got to be on the same. Got to be bouncing the same ball. You know, I mean, it's got to be. You've got to be guaranteeing teams. You've sanitized the visitor locker room. That you've taken care as best as you can, uh, seeing that the protocol is being followed at the at the uh, whatever whatever hotel the team is staying at. You know, probably slip a few uh, microphones in there too if you need to. But uh, you know, make sure nobody's coughing. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but you know they're. It's just, this sounds almost like it's simple, but the more you think about it, the more rabbit holes that open, you know, that you've got to go down.
2: And I think that that's one reason why, and again, this isn't a prediction, but if we're just going to follow this one thread, that if the Big Ten goes to nine plus one, I think one reason that we're talking about that is that those nine are already determined um, and you don't have to jumble around the schedule. And if you have to make an, an adjustment for, again, I'm sorry, Rutgers, but, you're, you're the most likely one on the chopping block and the East teams might need to add, you know, another game. Well, then you would maybe have those two extra weeks outside of, you know, the big 10 play, those non-conference games that you might lose where you could try to fill that in with another league opponent um, yeah. rather than saying, well, let's try and do 11 or 12 potentially. Uh, and then completely mess up the schedule when you, when you have so many other things that uh, have to go into it with uh, securing travel, um, getting hotels, as you said, for State College, uh, some of these other places, they're not, they're not the uh, tourist destinations that have, you know, hundreds of hotels like Columbus might available. So, you know, you don't want to start adding more complications on top of something that is already extremely complicated in the first place, which is just setting up, you know, every, every safety station and ensuring that the locker rooms are ready to go and um, you know, mandating how many fans can be there and how, you're, how many people you're going to let into a press box and all these other things. When you, If you started to put scheduling for staff and, and police and monitoring parking lots and getting rid of tailgating and you're changing around the dates, then you suddenly make this uh, a, a, a process that um, is much more challenging to pull off than it already will be. So I think that's yeah. why I, I wouldn't expect to see major changes to the schedule unless they get into a situation where it becomes clear that Rutgers and Maryland, somebody like that couldn't play an entire season, which I, I think that part is probably unlikely. Yeah, I, I do too. But it's
0: just like Urban said, survival of the fittest. Sometimes you've got to, you know, final analysis, you've got to think about yourself in this thing. I'm talking about, you know, as a program, as a school, et cetera. Right. You know, and that, that goes both ways, meaning, you know what, we don't want to risk it, you know. And the flip side of it is, okay, they don't want to risk it. Uh, we want to play. We think we've got safeguards in, in, in place to play. Uh, how about you other 10 or 11 schools? What do you think? You know, and you, and then you go from there. And the other thing is, you know, I don't think it'll be hard to find that one opponent. Uh, like if they go to that 9-1 card uh, like you're talking about, there will be a lot of those ones who aren't Big Ten teams who will be – definitely eager to get some kind of guarantee from a big 10 team to play a, to play a game, a game on the road. You got to figure that, right?
2: Yeah. I don't think that there'd be any, any challenge to that. And, you know, it, it might be fun for us to speculate on what Ohio state would do because, uh, if that becomes the model and, you know, everybody winds up in that situation, there could be different teams that could fit in than the ones that we named, which were as yeah. far as I could tell, Colorado state, Houston, um, UNLV, Wyoming, basically Mountain West teams that were losing Pac-12 games. You know, that situation might, that might open up other options. And would Ohio State in that case, could ESPN or Fox come in and say, here's 15 million to play whoever from the SEC or, you know. Alabama.
1: Yeah. Could,
2: Could that, could that put that in play? Maybe. I think that that's, you know, that's going way down that rabbit hole.
0: Well, here's, the, here's why that won't happen, because, you know, especially if you end up with a 10-game season or something, that would be an elimination game. <laughs> for some, you. Don't know you figure? For yeah. somebody? I mean, it, it, it'd be hard to convince the judges, you know, that, yeah, you, you lost that game, but you went 9-0 the rest of the way. You know, uh, that would – I think it's going to be very interesting college football college football playoff situation, which, you know, they, I think they think is going to go on as scheduled. We'll see if that happens. But, but yeah, you're right. Money talks in this situation, and uh, there are no guarantees you're going to make a college football playoff field anyway, so why wouldn't you take big cash for a big game? I just remember when Ohio, Ohio State officials and uh, Alabama were trying to get – a set up a game, a neutral site game, and I think they – settled on at one point in Nashville, you know, they were the Titans play. And then they just, they, I, I forgot who balked. I think they might have both balked, but this was years ago. But they just opted, no, nah, let's don't do it, you know. And uh, it's so hard to get those big-time powers to play each other. I don't, you know, it's not hard for me to see Alabama play in USC right now because, you know, in a, in a neutral site because not exactly apples and apples
2: it's and again like we can speculate and have fun with with who who could play who should play Um, yeah but we also have our you know or my own rule that i just i hate to you know pin it down and anybody that speaks out with any confidence about what is going to happen right now i just think it's foolish um we're still not into june yet and i think that um you know the middle of june is really more than anything that time where everybody right now has to work and come up with contingency plans. And I get that. And it would be great if we knew what all of them were, but I think that's, that's hard enough for them to manage when they go through these seven, eight meetings every day and they're all trying to, you know, account for every possible outcome. Well, you know, 99 out of a hundred of them won't be used. So I don't know that it it makes a a bunch of difference if we know what they all are, as long as they're prepared when that moment comes, because, yeah, it's a lot of states right now, and uh, especially in the SEC, uh, that that believe that their team is going to be back on campus on June one. Um, maybe that'll happen for the Buckeyes. Maybe it won't. I, I I tend to doubt that it will. But this thing is not slowing down. Like there is definitely clear momentum for the season to be played and for uh, monitored workouts to resume. Um, SEC, yes. it's not a surprise. I think that the SEC is leading that charge, but. You're going to see preparations being made uh, for college football to be played in the next couple of weeks. I I can promise you that around yeah. the country. And I t- yeah. I
0: told you, I, yeah, I told you that last week. I mean, the, the thing is you wanted to know a, an answer now, but I reminded you, not you, I'm talking about, you know, just euphemistically you, it was still four months till the game at Oregon is scheduled. You know, this was last week. And uh, the clock is ticking without a doubt. But, you know, the big question is, is somebody finally going to step up and go, you know what? By July one, we've got to know what we're doing one way or the other. Uh, either pack it in, uh, get your all get your all Big Ten conference schedule with maybe one wild card game. Uh, I mean, a game with a with an out of conference team, et cetera, and then you go from there. But but right now, you know, as you would expect in college football, it's kind of like watching. It's kind of like watching. uh Uh, different planets kind of like roll roll around the sun they've all got their own idea they're all on their own seasonal schedule you know and uh some of them are getting really close to the sun i think (laughs) with their ideas uh may 22nd uh uh, is going to be a vote you know by the sec on whether they want to open campuses or at least football facilities june one and we'll see where that goes because that could who knows what that will spur across the country right
2: I know what I would bet on for that SEC vote. <laughs> yeah, so I, have, I have person. I, I won't name any names, but I, I have seen already uh, plans for maybe I I don't know. Maybe it was a school that I used to cover. I, I know that they have plans in place for athletes to be uh, on campus on June one. They, yeah. there's, I don't think there's a lot of mystery in the way that that vote is going to go. Now, President, did you cover
0: Wyoming? Did you cover Wyoming?
2: I did briefly. Yeah. But yeah, so, okay, but Wyoming's not in the SEC, so eliminate that team. Did you cover Tennessee? I did cover Tennessee.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay.
2: So, Blue. I think that, you know, I think I have a good idea of which way that vote is going to go. And, but and your point is right. If maybe that's why they're not having the vote on June 1, so they can tell people on the 22nd, this is happening. And if you want to fall behind the SEC, you know, if you want this to be 2008 all over again, go for it. But otherwise, this is what we're doing. We think it's safe and we're going to start. And here's – they do have very detailed um, safety measures in place. And it is not a free-for-all. It's fewer than 10 people working out. It's a lot of things that Josh Myers talked about last week as well that they're sort of anticipating. It could be – the Woody has people from 5 to 6, 6 to 7, 7 to 8, all the way until nighttime, 5 a.m. I'm talking about. Yeah. You have to limit the amount of people that are in there. And we've also – and we also saw just this week, Tim, that – you know, the Ohio State coaching staff is now back in the Woody themselves now on a very limited basis and a lot of restrictions are in place, but Ohio State's not dragging its feet on this. That's the first opportunity that they've had to allow people to come to work and they're taking it. That's mm-hmm. that's, where is, that's where this is headed. Yeah,
0: I, I agree. I mean, the momentum, if you just get your, uh, you know, lick your finger and hold it to the wind, the wind is blowing and uh, the momentum <laughs> is definitely there and, you know, there does does come a a point where the return to normal is not the correct term because I don't think we're going to be normal for a long time. Hmm. But the return to some semblance of, you know, of being able to root. I mean, Kevin Harvick wins that race at Darlington, the track is too tough to tame, does his donuts and everything, gets out of the car and there's nobody. Well, maybe his pit crew is cheering, but nobody else is. And he goes, you know, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but that was strange. You know, he didn't know what to expect. But you know what? They had a race. They had a winner. They're going to have another one. And the life goes on. And, you know, this is that one year, you know, you're going to look back on 20 years from now, I hope I get to look back on it 20 years from now. I'll be 86 then. But you're going to look back on and go, wow, that was very, very interesting. Just like 2001 was extremely interesting. Not the same kind of uh, balls in the air, you know, juggling-wise. But, uh, wow, that was we, – we got through it. There was football finally along with hockey, NBA, <laughs> and NFL all at the same time. But and – the, and the Masters and whatever – also, everything's going to be jammed in there. But what an interesting year that was. Hope that doesn't happen again.
2: Yeah, and I think the, the one, one thing that college football really has going for it right now is that is that timing. You know, as we've said, that you don't need to, to make a final decision on, you know, May 20th uh, or June 1st, maybe. I mean, some of these things are going to start in motion. But um, you get to see, you know, German soccer has returned. Um, they're a real – they're actually – you know, even if people don't care about it, it's a meaningful guinea pig for other professional sports leagues and college football because they're going through this with the testing. What, do you, what happens when a, when a player tests positive? Because does that, that is inevitably going to happen. Um, yeah. When one team had two tests and they had to sit out that week. So how do those – how do you respond to that? How do you handle the quarantine? Do other players get affected? Uh, but just for, in terms of day-to-day logistics, how many people are necessary for staffing? Uh, how many journalists can cover the game, uh, how many, fo- you know, photo people are on the sideline, all these things, how many, you know, they have no fans. Um, but all those things are going to go into the NBA's return to play, NHL return to play, and if you, and, and major league baseball return to play. And so they'll get to see three, four or five other, other options before they, you know, have to get into a game themselves and know what uh-huh. that level is like for them. And that's a huge advantage for college football.
0: Hey, real quick, uh, you know, I was, I was, as you were talking there, I was, I was, you know, thinking about the media. I think, uh, I think there were four media members who were allowed to watch the NASCAR race in the press box. I may be wrong about that number, but you remember they had that extended, uh, uh, they had that extended uh, microphone where they did interviews. Mm-hmm. And my big question was, well, wait a minute, did they sanitize that microphone? <laughs> between interviews, you know, yeah. those little things that pop into your mind that you never even thought of before, you know. Meanwhile, we're used to, like, being jammed in there like sardines trying to get so we can hear, you know, Justin Fields' talk or, or J.K. Dobbins' talk after a game. You know, you remember those – well, I call it the almost silence yeah, that you uh, – that has to go into, like, post-game interviews, and say, et cetera. It's really going to be different for us. We'll get into that some other time. But uh I was just – I was just – uh Really appreciative of Urban Meyer coming on today to talk about that. You know, he's talked to the different coaches around the country about how they're handling their their situations, giving them really kind of being a, uh, for another term, an advice guy for for some of their counselor, for including you know, obviously with Ryan Day, he talks to him a lot, but uh, just about how to handle these situations. And, and I told him, you know, uh, you know, he's he's probably uh, wishing he was a part of this because you you kind of you kind of look forward sometimes as a leader to having these moments of challenges how do you respond how do you get your staff to respond etc and uh and that you know and he said basically yeah but you know he's 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 spending a lot of time with a lot of people talking about this whole thing, you know, talking to, you know, basically the way we're doing it, you know, via Zoom, et cetera, and uh, and, and just having really a good time about it. But uh, like I said, before we get done here, he thinks there is going to be a college football season this year in some form or fashion. I think you and I both agree on that, right, Austin? Yep. Okay, I called you Austin just so I'd get a response so you wouldn't – Uh, have this perplexed look on your face when I said Boston you didn't know who you were talking I was talking to (laughs) hey Boston I appreciate it my man I appreciate it and uh I appreciate Urban Meyer coming on uh the Tim May podcast and it's Tim May podcast starring Boston you know him as Austin Ward but until next week ladies and gentlemen maybe we'll have somebody else uh, a little special guest on next week but until next week this is Tim May we'll see you then